Right. How many did we lose? Gawain. Hector. And Bors. That's five. Three, sir. Three. Three. So we better not risk another frontal assault. Would it help to confuse it if we ran away more? Oh, shut up and go and change your armor. A priest, sir, to help you make your peace with God before you die. Oh, hello. Your Majesty, I can arrange for certain monies to be paid to allow you to escape. You're dressed as a priest. How, how dangerous and stupid and, and perverted. It's just like school. Warriors, come out to play. We have the holy hand grenade. Yes, of course. The holy hand grenade of Antioch. It is one of the sacred relics Brother Maynard carries with him. Amen. 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 Right. One, two, five. Three, sir. Three. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. We're continuing our series of up-close and personal looks at individual character classes. No, you didn't accidentally tune into the wrong show. Due to an interdimensional scheduling conflict, we've had to postpone and push out our Spell Duel show to episode 11. But don't worry, I promise you, it will be worth the wait. Tonight, by a popular listener request, we're going to cover the Cleric class, which in Dungeon Call Classics is not your father's D20 heelbot. Uh, with me tonight are my two holier-than-thou co-hosts, Judge Job. Greetings. And Judge Jeffrey. Hey, everyone. So, wow. Hey, how are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Keeping busy, but doing good. We're back here in the recording studio, which is nice. Yes. It's good to be back. Well, let's just proceed on to the tavern. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. F*** that. Tavern talk. So, what did we all do in gaming this week? My online group, we've been playing uh, DCC RPG, of course, and we are probably about halfway through Sea Queen Escapes. Uh, That's been going pretty well. Actually, really well so far. I don't want to spoil stuff, but they got hit with a particular 
curse uh, this last session, which sort of threw everybody for a loop. Uh, luckily, it came perfect timing, though. It came towards the end, and it takes a little bit of oh, recalculations for certain characters. So it was a good spot, but uh, it, it set the, our little community group afire with comments and people posting stuff and things like that. So I always like it when the sessions end sort of strong like that. So that's pretty much it, my the online DCC game, but it's going well. Since he caused such an uproar on the uh, Google Plus group, I, I feel it pains to mention that it's a Michael Curtis adventure. Yes, it is. It is a Michael Curtis adventure. <laughs> you thought we talked a little bit too much about Harley's adventures last time. That is true. <laughs> yes, it is a Michael Curtis adventure, and the the curse that's in there is just lovely. I love that module. We played through it in playtest. It was awesome. Did you? Yeah, it was. It's been fun. I mean, some of the stuff is just really cool. Uh, it, it was a good session last night. It was, it was pretty. It was a good one. I love how you remember things wrong one time and you're stuck with it forever. I would swear to God that uh, we fought a megalodon in that thing, and and there's no megalodon in it. No, there's not a megalodon. <laughs> but that that could be fun. <laughs> Well, I swore up and down last week that you could uh, get credit for Goodwin Games swag by doing online games. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I was even excited about that one, and then it came out on the community group. I'm like, oh, rats. Well, you know, if we don't yeah. put our foots in our mouth every once in a while, we're not doing our job. Yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting old. Okay. <laughs> well, how about you, Job? What's your gaming week been like? Well, you know, I was listening to the last episode, and I realized that I never talked about Dragonflight from before Gen Con even. So I wanted to talk about that because that was a great game. So that was the first time I ran Sailors on the Starless Sea because I was sick of running my own stuff. I've done it so many times. And it, what was the probably the most awesome thing is four listeners showed up. So um, Steve and, uh, and his son Kyle showed up, who were awesome, and also this other guy, uh, Chris, and his wife, that her name escapes me right now. So, uh, sorry, Mrs. Craft. We had an awesome, an awesome adventure. You know, they just ripped through that thing, and we had like a four-hour slot, and I think they got to the end in like just shy of three hours. Wow! Really? That is, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, and they hit about just about everything in there. So, I don't know. I was pretty impressed. They they did a great job. So, I think I was like five I, and a half or six when I ran that for a group. Uh, maybe it was because we had such a big group. I think it was like eight people or something, or seven people. Wow. But it was really good. And Three zero levels apiece? Uh, I think I did four. four? Wow. Yeah, yeah that's there was crazy. a lot of de- Yeah. There, I mean, there was a lot of deaths, but... There's some attrition built into that module, so... Yeah, they didn't ma- manage to, like, um, roll for the rot grubs at that one point, so I was really, like, I really wanted to kill some people with rot grubs, but it's just me, I guess. <laughs> if they got through it that quick, no one attacked the tentacles. That's that's a running gag in our group. One guy hit the tentacles, and uh, yeah, I just ripped him in half and threw him in the water. <laughs> <laughs> but but one of the other guys quickly jumped up, and they had the, the incense burner and started swinging it around like mad to, to get him to, to get back. Oh, well, well done then. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Dragonflight was actually really awesome. It's it's out in Bellevue. I think it was number 34. So I was chatting with a friend of mine that runs cons, and uh, I was like, man, I really wish that like up here in Seattle there was some kind of like OSR con or something like that. Dragonflight is it. When I went out there, just I played in AD&D games and DCC, and there was just all kinds of old school games going on. It's a really good con. I can't wait for that next year. I, I only scheduled one day because I was like, all right, you know, this this is out in Bellevue. It's going to be lame or something. 
But yeah, next year I'm going every single day. I'm going to spend the entire time there. I really had a great time. How big a that con sounds- is it? Oh, it's pretty small. It, I would say maybe two to three hundred people. That's cool. That's, that's a fun size, though. I mean, I think that's a, that's a fun size. I'd only ever been to Origins or Gen Con when I went to my first Gary Con, and I didn't know what I was walking into. And it was that feeling, I mean, uh, a little bigger than that, but not much, four or 500 people, and just all old school stuff, and every third person worked at TSR. And I'm like, ah, this is where I need to be. Yeah, that's why I need to get to, like, Gary Con or NTPRG, because it's just like, uh, Gen Con and Origins is my con experience, and, you know, gigantic, huge. I, I would like to hit one of these smaller OSR-focused cons and see how that goes. Yeah, this guy, uh, what was his name, Matt Judge, I think, he ran uh, Caverns of Thracia, which I've been wanting to play forever. Have you played that one, Jim? Is it a game or an adventure? It's a Janelle Jackway's adventure. Oh, you know, uh, Mike Stewart told me about it, but I've never never played or run it. Oh, man, it's it's wild. It's really cool. It's huge, and you can, you can, there's... You can easily get yourself into trouble, like go through different portals and end up like in this high level area that you're just going to get slaughtered in. So yeah, that sounds like my kind of deal. Yeah, it it was really good. I was I was uh, really impressed. And the guy that ran it, um, like I said, Matt Judge, he was he was a great DM. So, well, my weekend gaming, um, we played uh, Save or Die Crew plus one Norwegian dude Doc Mindwipe through Basic D and D, and we had a pretty good you know regular dungeon crawl time. In my home DCC campaign, uh, we did what I think I told you guys before, where Marcos and I switched out. So I have now judged my first DCC RPG game. So I'm now a for real judge, not just a podcast judge. Awesome. How'd it go? It was it was really awesome. I've never been so proud of a group. I, I, it's like the same the same group I was playing with, where we had like two clunky adventures in a row, and everybody just stepped up their game and they played smart, ran them through a character funnel. To uh, Michael Curtis was giving me crap about this. Eight players, twenty-four level zeros, and the f- four combats in the first uh, game, and only one level zero died. Wow, that's like unheard of. Well, yeah, they're playing pretty smart, and 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 that was. But it was my buddy Will. I love that guy. His, he, uh, Will and his son Micah are regulars in our group. It's the same guy I told you about who leapt his dwarf voluntarily into the maw of a purple worm. And they are out in the desert. A sandstorm from the night before has uncovered the top glass spire of something that's obviously buried underneath with one little doorway-sized piece knocked out. And I described it as dark past the doorway with a little bit of sand spilled and seven of the players were so they were so spooked at this point because they'd had a couple of combats that they were just circling it afraid to even touch it and will goes oh he got impatient or something he's like i'm gonna run one of my guys in and i'm like okay well here's what you hear yeah <laughs> he's like do i get a save i'm like not at 50 feet drop no, you know? <laughs> and then and this and this, and this, was, and this was will's post-mortem version of what i just described to you he's like i decided to do that because i thought it would be good for the story I'm like okay did you get it out of your system? <laughs> but they played really smart, uh, including Will, and uh, we had a lot of fun. And uh, I'm, now, I'm at a full confidence rating now for running a table size of eight. All right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a big table. I feel like a real boy now. <laughs> All right, maybe you, maybe you'll run, uh, help me and Doug run the Uber table at, uh, at Gen Con 2014. It would be my honor and privilege, though I'll, I'll have to uh, really step up my game to keep up with you guys. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sure you can do it. 
my favorite thing when Doug ran that one game, the Wednesday night game, was when this Cthulian beast like ejects eyeballs at us or something that shoot electricity, and he's like, because he's cool like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was his description, because it's cool like that. <laughs> All right, well, let's summon some emails. <laughs> You've got mail. Message for you, son. Summon email. And the emails just keep piling in. I think this is turning into my favorite part of the show. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. It gives us a couple different questions to answer that we might not have thought of broaching before. And lets us stir up trouble on the boards. They yeah, had that too. All right, so let me dive in here. The first one here is from Nacho Sevilla Noarbe. This is Judge Nacho from the other side of the pond. Loving your podcast from the first episode. Great dialogue, excellent audio, and awesome content. Well, thank you. Let me fire a couple of quick questions for when you have time to answer. First, how would you use a module with a group of three players plus Judge? Would you have a couple of characters per player or rather lower the challenge of the module? It's difficult to find tabletop RPG players in Spain, even more so to have them try out DCC, which, which has a high language barrier. Right, what do you think there, Jim? A uh, pretty couple of easy answers to go with uh, is just to have each player play two characters or uh, go with uh, some hirelings, which have actually played in a DC game, one of Rick Hull's games, where that was the deal. Only three of us showed up, and uh, our level ones all got three level zero hirelings. Nice. Who, as 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 usual, turned out to be the stars of the show, one way or the other. It's always that way. What do you think, Jeffrey? Uh, I, I listen to the players. I let them do because I know some people aren't real comfortable playing more than one character. So I start to go with that. If I have players that are willing to play two characters, then I'll let them beef it up that way a little bit. And otherwise, uh, if I do really small groups and they're not quite ready to do multiple characters, then hirelings and henchmen who can just sort of be there and do the stupid stuff that needs to be done. That's how I usually handle it. It's That's worked out for me. It's an important question because when Rick ran us through uh, Colossus Arise, 13 players showed up. And that was too many for the adventure. We pretty much mowed through the first half of it. And I, and I, I think that's because Rick just didn't up the volume any. Yeah, and I'll tweak things if I do have a lot of, and even if that's even, like my normal, my DCC group's usually four or five or six players for my online group. And if we're short, uh, then, you know, I might might ratchet things down a little bit. If we're, you know, full and they're running two characters apiece or something, then things are getting bumped up. I'll start adding plus ones to attacks, plus twos to attacks, add two to AC, just to make things go just a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit tougher so they're not just a walkthroughs. And I guess don't worry about it over much because the way the uh, game is designed, the, the luck can swing so hard either way. I mean, it, it, you, it could be perfectly balanced and, 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 you know, somebody goes on a hot roll and everything explodes. So true. I've had so many encounters where I'm like, this is going to be a killer encounter. It's going to be tough. And they walk right through it. And then I have one that's just sort of a trivial, this shouldn't be that hard, you know. And it just about decimates them. So it really depends on how those dice roll and how they burn their luck or how they spell burn. And there's just so many factors that trying to pretend there's any balance is, you know, there's just too many factors to go into, which I think is awesome. It makes DCC fun because you go into an encounter never knowing exactly what's going to happen, even as the judge. So 
That's part of what happened with my group. I'm infamous for terrible initiative roles, and I'm behind the screen doing the same thing. Eight players and me, and I was dead last in every combat for my initiative role for the monsters. Yeah, and that'll make a huge difference, especially if it's just one or two monsters. That's just huge. So let's go to the next part of Rick's question. Any news on a DCC campaign setting, or maybe a series of linked adventures? Do you know of any other non-module material coming up for the game? Just heard of the Monster Alphabet, for instance. Thanks a lot. Keep it up. All right. Well, I'm glad you heard of the Monster Alphabet. I heard, hey, that, I heard that's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I heard it was going to blow Michael Curtis's original away. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know he's not going to take that lane down. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't listen to the show. I mean, he doesn't comment like five minutes after we post. <laughs> he said, wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> I don't know. What have you guys heard? We talked what? off air about having James Carpe on as a guest. I was speaking to James last week because I'd like to very much to have him on when his Tales of the Fallen Empire campaign setting for Dungeon Crawl Classics comes out, which he tells me is going to be sometime. We're in September now, right? Right. Okay. So sometime next month. It should be uh, it's it's uh, it should be out and in store. So sometime during then we'll have uh, James on, and there's a whole DCC campaign setting right there. Yeah, we also have uh, you know Scott Mathis's Transylvanian Adventures landing in October. I think Halloween or something. Wow. Okay. So there's two. Yeah. As far as linked adventures, I haven't really heard anything on that front. I know people have really begged for it. You know, like a Giants series type of um, level of, of linked adventures. Uh, from my, from what I understand, you know, from forum posts and stuff, it doesn't sound like Goodman Games is that interested in that. But have you guys heard anything else? No, I, I, I personally a big fan of the way they kind of are writing the adventures already. Where, like, for example, in Sailors of the Starless Seas, the way that adventure ends, you could then link that to any module you wanted to that was appropriate for first level characters. There's, there's an ending. There's a door built into the end of the adventure that could take you anywhere. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I know Joseph is a real big fan of of planting seeds or, or doors to other adventures that aren't explored. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. I know, like in the Thirteenth Skull, there's there's a whole thing on like sidetrack that you could just take off and and you know you'd have to write your own adventure around it. But there's always kind of those seeds that 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 a lot of times you'll see, especially in Joseph Goodman's adventures. Yeah, Nacho, I, it's my understanding that uh, Goodman Games is pretty committed to not doing the typical thing where there's a lot of splat books and campaign settings. So from them themselves, I don't think you're, you're going to ever see many much in the way of campaign settings or linked adventures. But third-party publishers are all doing some version of that right now. Don't the Purple Saucer modules all link together in some fashion? You know, The level zeros do, right? Well, they don't. Really, they take place in the same area, so it uses the same city, uses the same... There's a little town right out, outside the city called Mustertown, and it uses that, it uses the He's got it set up so that there's easy ways to get to this massive swamp that covers a sunken city to the south of the city proper. So he has a whole little realm he can build into with his adventures. In fact, my online campaign, I started with Perils of the Sunken City... And then did transition into the ooze pits of Jonas Grok. And I still use the Sunken City for my own stuff. I've set some of the uh, Purple Duck Games stuff in this Sunken Swamp City that uh, Purple Sorcerer has set up for me. So I've sort of taken what Purple Sorcerer has done and turned it into my campaign setting to a degree. 
to do that. So he's got it. He's got the groundwork laid for it. Even though I don't think it, uh, the only one that there's the layer of the mist men that sort of links into ooze pits. So, the, but they're more like same area than necessarily than linked. But it works well. So there you go. And what level are those adventures, though? Um, the they're zero, or that you can run them for first level. So I ran perils as a zero level. Ooze pits is also a zero level, but easily run as a first level too. So that's how I did that. And mistman, I think, is a first level. I haven't run that one. It's a first level. And then the he's got the other one, the one the the manor one uh, is a zero level or first level as well. I only have the first one of those, which is why I had to ask that as a question. I thought that they probably all linked up in some way, but wasn't sure. Yeah, it's more location. It's almost like he's got this mini campaign setting for you to, you know, it very mini. Like, the city's not super detailed. In fact, I've cheated, and I actually have turned the great city that's in the Purple Sorcerer stuff, and I've made it Punjar. Just, I haven't officially told my characters that, or my players that, uh... But that's how I sort of build up the great city, and then I use the sunken city to the south as how Purple Sorcerer sort of describes it. So through a little mishmash of stuff, it, it's worked out really well for using that as a basis. Uh, explain to me what Punjar is. I've, I've, I have adventured in Punjar by virtue of being in the city in Doug's campaign at Gen Con, but is that like his and Harley's personal deal? It's Harley's, right? Well, no, I mean, it's a Goodman Games thing. I, I, I'm not sure that... I mean, may, I mean, Harley's been around there for a long time, but I think it's you know kind of the old guard guys like um, Brendan LaSalle and, and some of those older guys that that um, did a lot of the earlier Goodman game, you know, DCC RPG adventures. And I, I think in an earlier episode, I, I like said something about Castle White Rock box set, but I was just confused. It's uh, the Gazetteer of the Known Realms, and that's you know the whole I don't know expensive box set that's got the kind of the whole background for Aerith, uh, which is, you know, the used to be the, the, the default world. And Punjar was one, you know, large city there. A lot of the 4E adventures that they did were all based in, in Punjar. They've got a book for, the, the, for Punjar. Because uh, I've got that, because like I said, that's how I based, I just tweaked Great City into Punjar. Uh, it worked out well. It's kind of like a like a gritty urban setting, a bit like Lankmar, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I think I would put it in that ballpark too. It felt like Lankmar. I'm a bad person for this kind of question because I just came up in a day where we made it all up. So even when I, I mean, I I enjoy reading a campaign setting as much as the next person, but I'm just gonna like rape it for what I want and stick it in my own game and kind of have my own setting. That's my default setting. And that's what I've been doing with my online game. Is it's you know, I was chatting with Doug one time, and and he was saying he was going on and on about Poonjars being like Chicago, <laughs> his, his neighborhood in Chicago. So but that was cool. <laughs> it felt like we were on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> Thanks, Nacho. Okay, how about the next email? The next email comes from Brian Bleakey. He writes, Hi guys, I love your podcast. I heard you had questions from prospective players with concerns about playing without the D24, D30, etc. I made this die rolling matrix that serves as a pretty quick means to generate all possible die rolls. All you need are a D6, D8, D10, and D12, which everyone should have. It sure beats re-rolling a D20 over and over and trying to get under a 14. Thanks for the great show, Brian Bleakley. Oh my god, that dice matrix was cool. Yeah, he did send an attachment with that, and it was a cool matrix. 
if you don't have the the funny sided dice, it it could be a good way to go. We should post that in the show notes or something. Maybe we'll just pop them off a quick email and make sure it's okay. But yeah, people uh, definitely I think should check it out. It's a pretty rad table. Yeah, if he doesn't mind us posting it, I think it's definitely worth posting up, especially for people just getting into the game because I know that is a frequently. I don't have a D14 or I don't have a D24. The little matrix you could just print it off using normal dice, and it's a pretty quick way to do it. So it'd be cool. Much easier than my answer, which is always there's a free app, and I forget the whole world doesn't have an iPhone. <laughs> Well, that app runs on Droid, too. Yeah, oh, see? I forget. <laughs> so not the whole the whole world doesn't have a smartphone, so... Right, right, okay. okay. It, it doesn't run on my crappy phone. <laughs> so, here's a piece of paper you can print out. <laughs> okay, I'll get the next email, which is from Stinky One-Eyed Ogre. Hey, Stinky. Uh, he says, uh, Hail Spellburners. I love the intro and bumpers you guys use on the show. They are all very professional and entertaining. Well, thank you, Sticky. I, I like those bumpers, too. That Jim deserves a round of applause for those because uh, he's, he's really the mastermind behind all of them. Definitely. I'll cut it, he does cut it out, man. Even a broke clock's right twice a day. Uh, Stinky writes, I just wanted to put out the idea of mining the classic movie The Warriors for samples. If you're looking for an idea of what I'm talking about. I love what Pop Will Eat Itself did with the song Can You Dig It back in the 90s. It's not really a true fantasy film, but it really hits that 70s vibe. This film is loaded with great one-liners. Hope you find it useful. Keep up the good work. Stinky One-Eyed Ogre. Well, Stinky, fortunately for you, my patron uh, is the king of Elfland, so I'm going to invoke patron real quickly. Hang on a second. And as you already know, I just step back in time, 1d6 rounds plus my level, and put a clip from the Warriors into the front of the show. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And next email. Okay, and our next email is from Doug Keister, who I know. Jeffrey, Jim, and Job, I'm really enjoying your show. Keep up the good work. I really enjoyed meeting and gaming with Jim and Job at Gen Con. It was the best con weekend I've had so far. Several listeners have asked how to deal with the character with character death above level zero. One thing I haven't heard you mention is hirelings. Check out page 310 of the DCC RPG rulebook. Have the players take hirelings along and allow the hirelings to level up as they help the PCs out of scrapes. If the upkeep is done on the hirelings, there should be a ready supply of experienced and familiar characters to pick up when one of the main PCs dies. They won't be as high level as the main adventuring party, but they should be close. This gives the GM some flexibility also. It allows for cutscene adventures starring the hirelings. It gives the GM some other characters to endanger in interesting ways. I'm sure an inventive GM could do lots of evil things to the second string characters. What do you think? And I'm looking forward to episode 10. Well, what do you think, Jeffrey? I think it's a good idea. In fact, I had one of my characters recently pick up a hireling uh, in a recent game, and it's working out pretty well because he has sort of bonded with the party, so it sort of solves some of that problem of the lack of attachment sometimes when you're replacing, you know, at third, fourth level, trying to bring in something. So I think that I think that's a great thing to try and try to make more use of hirelings, and it gets them into the party. And I love the idea of picking on the sec- the hirelings as the judge. That's great. Doug was a righteous dude. I enjoyed gaming with him too. Yeah, I had a good time. We uh, we actually roomed together, and uh, he's he's also a good cuddler. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry that that was a Skype malfunction. It sounded like never mind. <laughs> no, I just I came home at like three in the morning, and Doug is still awake on the floor, and and he didn't he didn't lay in the bed that you know I guess I was supposed to lay in the bed that night, and uh, I was like Doug, I know you're awake. Just get up and get in bed with me. I don't care. So <laughs> it was just funny. <laughs> There was no actual cuddling I, <laughs> that I remember. There, um, there were six of us packed in our room, including Matt from Roll for Initiative, but uh, they all gave me a wide berth. I got the old man ticket or something. I had a bed to myself. <laughs> um, okay, well, that'll wrap it up for uh, emails. Let's move on to the main part of the show and do some Mighty Deeds. Wait a second. I have an idea. That's plenty for the both of us. I move for no man. Dun 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 dun. Okay. We're talking about a class that I have never played in thirty years until about two months ago. The cleric. The Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG Cleric is the first cleric I've actually ever wanted to play. I don't know how much of it is my perception from the day, back in the day, or how much of it is actually written of the rules, but it, it was always the class we had to talk somebody into playing because it was just going to be a, a heel bot character. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of uh, clerics. Until, uh, D&D 3, 3X, that's when I started liking clerics. Uh, I had a lot of fun with them there. But prior to that, I agree, it was sort of more like a, a heel bot. Uh, I think the DCC RPG cleric does a really good job of sort of, you know, being able to take care of the healing, but still being able to have a good amount of fun themselves, too, though. I'm ashamed to admit I, this is a recent discovery for me, but all of a sudden, uh, a couple of months ago, I figured out, wait a minute, I can slam heads as good as the fighter. Step up to the front of the party and... Smite something. Oh yeah, definitely. You can you can wear any armor you want, and it doesn't affect your spell check. So go for it. Yeah, that's that's better spell casting and armor than a elf or a wizard in Dungeon Crawl Classics. Yeah. Well, let's just go through it by the numbers then, um, uh, highlighting probably the similarities and the differences that people are used to from more classic fantasy RPG trope. One of the whole points of a cleric is uh, they're this militant religious order for a deity, right? Yes, they get to choose their alignment, whether they're you know law, chaos, or neutral, and then choose a deity from there. And uh, yeah, you're you're the you channel your god's power. Which from O D and D is interesting because in O D and D the clerics had to be either lawful or chaotic. They they could not be neutral. But Dungeon Crawl Classics, you can be a neutral cleric to Cthulhu all day long. Yeah, <laughs> or a druid type cleric. That's one of the things I love about this game is there's no druid class. It's just built into the cleric class. Be be a neutral cleric and worship nature. Go for it. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. Uh, rather than have the proliferation of classes, just, you know, hey, we'll handle underneath the cleric. It's similar, and it's all taken care of. Do you guys play more or judge more? I'm guessing mostly judging. Yeah, I judge I mostly more. judge. Since I've played more, we quickly figured out that neutral alignment is the choice alignment in the whole game for any class because of the clerics. Because of the lay on hands ability? Do you, do you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So if, Because uh, a cleric of a set alignment can heal more hit die in their own alignment, and then once removed is, is a slight penalty, and twice removed is, is not only a, a, a much less more powerful heal, but considered a sin to their god. 
So if you position yourself as, as neutral, you've got all your bases covered. Is, is that power gaming? As I say that, suddenly it sounds I, I sound like I'm, I'm munchkinning. Yeah, it works. <laughs> You'd be power gaming if you made yourself the same alignment as the cleric, because then you get the best heal. Oh, I, uh, I converted straight away. Helped the dude out after his disapproval got up some. Nice. So um, for people that aren't familiar with the Cleric already in Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG, the Lay on Hands ability that is a little bit different uh, than many other fantasy role-playing games that you might be familiar with. Uh, it's basically determined uh, how much you heal by what alignment the, the person that is the target of your heal is. So if they're the same alignment as you, it heals more. If, you know, one removed, so if you're lawful neutral... Um, it, it's slightly less good. And then um, if you heal someone that's the total opposite alignment of you, the, it's, uh, it's not as good, uh, not as powerful. Of all the genius things in this game, this is one of the most genius for like two or three reasons, starting with exactly what you're talking about. All the heals, all the cures are rolled into one ability that, uh, depending on how good a spell check you get, heals one, two, three, four hit dice, you know, also uh, change slightly by alignment difference. Yeah, I think it's a real clean setup, just like you described. I mean, and that and that's what you do. You, if you get a high enough roll, you get two dice, three dice, four dice, and yeah, it's all tied into that. Uh, alignment can shake it one way or the other, but... Uh, but Doc, I took a critical hit and got my left arm severed. Okay, well, you just look at that chart and, well, you have to hit a two-hit dice heal on the chart, and arms reattached. Done. Same thing with poison. Right, so what Jim, Jim's touching on there is that not only can you just, uh, you can use your lay on hands ability just to heal hit points for another character, you can actually also use it to heal conditions and other debilitating effects. So if someone got their arm cut off or was struck blind, you can choose not to actually heal any hit points, but say, I, I want to heal this particular condition which I think is a really clean mechanic because it keeps the poor cleric from having to memorize, you know, cure disease or cure cure paralysis or, and everything like that. It's just all in your lay on hands ability. You just have to declare it before you roll, whether you're trying to do, you know, restore some hit points, or whether you're gonna, you know, hey, my my buddy fighter here is blind. I'm gonna try to, you know, cure his blindness on this roll. So yeah, it's, it's such a clean mechanic. And and the other thing about Lay on Hands, too, is that if you fail on it, it increases disapproval with your deity. If you're coming from another system, uh, disapproval with your deity is probably also another unfamiliar term. So you want to talk about that, Jim? Sure. If you're a wizard and you make your spell check and you roll a one, that's bad. The spell not only fails, but you take a chance on spell corruption. With a cleric, there's no spell corruption. There's disapproval, right? On a one. Yep. To start... At a one, yes. <laughs> well, a, a a roll of a one gives you disapproval, but then after that, what happens? Now it's bumped to one or a two, and after that, I there was a guy uh, in uh, your game, Job, at Gen Con that did the Las Vegas slot machine thing, where he just kept rolling that spell over and over, and he managed how many ones in a row did he roll? I don't know. That was that was the worst streak I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, his disapproval range had gone up to three or four, and he's like, "Screw this! I'm going to heal the guy. Lay on hands again." 
Okay, so for people who are unfamiliar with deity disapproval, I'm just going to read a quick thing off of page 122 of the core rulebook. A cleric must serve his immortal master well, lest he fall in disfavor. The cleric, who risks the disapproval of his deity, finds that he quickly loses access to the extraordinary benefits of being a cleric. Basically, what happens when you start out, you your disapproval range, I guess, is, yes. is starts out at one. So if you do any kind of spell check and you roll a one, a natural one on it, that you know whatever your disapproval rate is, you have to roll on the disapproval table, which has all kinds of goodies on it for the GM. Oh yeah, so I don't know. You know what, Jim? You always have your dice handy. Why don't you just let's just say I just rolled a nat one trying to heal uh, Jeffrey. And you know, what did I get here? You know me too well, sir. I don't have the table open yet. Is it a D thirty or percentile? Uh, D four for every point of the spell check. For example, if the cleric rolled a natural one, he would roll a d4. If he rolled a natural four, and that counted as disapproval, he would roll four d4. So we're, let's say that it's just a d4 at this point. Uh, two. Cleric must pray for forgiveness immediately. He must spend at least one hour in prayer, beginning as soon as he is able to. If he's in combat, he can wait until the end until danger is over. Failure to finish the full hour of prayers within the next 120 minutes is looked upon unfavorably. He incurs a negative one penalty to all spell checks until he completes the full hour. And it goes on from there and gets worse and worse. Well, for example, our cleric uh, hit that table and uh, his was uh, you have to convert somebody within the next day or lose all your spells, something to that effect. And that's when we, you know, I volunteer to step up and help the cleric out. Okay, I convert to Cthulhu. <laughs> Yeah, I, we seem to get that result a lot for my cleric. For a while there, my cleric, who in my game also uh, worshipped Cthulhu and ended up going to the city and recruiting followers, and then he sacrificed some followers, and it was just, it was, I mean, it was great. It, but it was a whole little plot line that kicked off because of a disapproval role, you know? So, I mean, it's this whole new element in the game that just from the disapproval. So, it is a judge's treasure, in my opinion. <laughs> well, for role-playing, right, we're, we're, ten, we're leaning towards the discussion in terms of game mechanics so that we can explain it, but it's a great springboard, like you said, for good role-playing, too. So, uh, disapproval. You get it on a, uh, on a one. It, once you get that, that, uh, that disapproval, now your, your, ra- your disapproval range increases. So, um, now, you know, f- from our last example, my disapproval range would be, you know, one to two. So, from this point forward, until you decrease disapproval with your deity, you're going to have to roll on the disapproval table on a one or a two. And it keeps going up from there. And the one exception to that is lay on hands. If you ever fail uh, to heal someone, you increase disapproval with your deity. So you increase disapproval with your deity. So That's a, that's a spell check of like 12 on a d20 or less, right? Well, no. I mean, it's if you don't, if you, if you fail it, so if you're trying to heal that, you know, chaotic elf and you fail, your your disapproval increases. Right. That, that's how you understand it, right, Jeffrey? Yep, yep, that's how I understand it. In fact, for any spell check, though, right? I mean, even if I'm trying to cast Bless and if I fail that, my disapproval is going to go up. No, no, no. Uh, uh, no, only if you roll um, in your disapproval range. So, so if you cast Bless and my disapproval range is 2, you roll a 3... Your mm-hmm. disapproval range doesn't go up. The spell just failed. Yeah, it just failed. Yeah. Look on the table in the book. Now, I was looking at page uh, 29 where it says each failed spell check increases the chance of disapproval. 
So maybe I've been playing it wrong because I must really penalize my cleric a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I just ran my first game last week and I haven't at? played a cleric in Dungeon Crawl so Classic in the yet. Cleric character class section, the magic section uh, starts with these rules apply to cleric magic. Natural one means disapproval. Uh, and in the second items, each failed spell check increases the chance of disapproval. After his first spell check fails in a day, the cleric's range of disapproval increases to a natural roll of a 1 or 2. Thereafter, on any natural roll of a 1 or 2, the spell automatically fails, and the cleric must roll in the disapproval table. After I got it. We, we've gotten a little confused between what causes the uh, disapproval range to increase and what actually triggers disapproval. You have to roll a 1 to get the disapproval, but a fail increases the range. Yes, yes. So yeah, you just because you fail oh, doesn't mean man, you're rolling the that's disapproval a subtle point. table. Yeah, just because you fail the spell check doesn't mean you're rolling disapproval. But so if I'm trying to hit a spell check and I roll an eight and my disapproval is one, I don't have to roll disapproval, but my range just increased to one to two. And then if I fail it again at, with a nine, then now my disapproval is one, two, three, but I don't have to roll disapproval. Just my range is increasing. Oh, see, I learned something today. Thank that's you. how I've always played it. That that makes total sense, and I've been totally playing it wrong. I've been playing it like Lay on Hands was a separate thing. If you failed it, it increased your disapproval uh, yeah. rating, and I was rolling on the table. Yeah, no. Well, I I didn't Man. get a chance to observe that in the game I sat in because the uh, poor cleric I was talking about was really rolling ones over and over again. Yeah. Oh man, I can't believe I have been playing it that wrong for <laughs> for over a year. <laughs> that that's oh, well. that that is better than us playing a whole month of uh, not giving XPs out in the character funnel, which was a group decision. We just read the rule wrong. <laughs> yeah, man, I've I've actually gotten some stuff published by Goodman Games, and I'm still screwing it up. <laughs> May need to edit this out. <laughs> I- <laughs> No, I'm going to leave it in. I, I don't care if I look like an idiot. I mean, there's lots of them. My players, you know, sometimes, you know, we're a year in, and sometimes I'm like, you know, guys, just so you know. And some of them listen to the show, and they're like, so you're going to change this now, aren't you? <laughs> because we heard the show, and you've been doing it wrong. I'm like, yeah, we're going to change it from here on out. So, Hey, it's just, it's just a sense of the DCC community. We're all learning together, listeners, podcasters. Man, I, I'll tell you a funny story, though. The, uh, in... Gen Con, like, 2012, I guess, when I was playing with, like, Harley and, and Doug, and um, I thought, like, they were going to be the rules masters, you know, and I played the game, and I was, like, pointing out some stuff at the rules, and I was like, man, these, how do I know more than than these guys about this particular <laughs> rule, so. Oh, the best ever was Harley telling us that the whole spell duel system, they just cooked that up one afternoon, you know, over beers at a table. Yeah, we came up with that one afternoon. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so back to the cleric. Where were we? All right, we chose our god at first level by alignment, uh, which has to match the god. We've done spell check and disapproval. Yep. What if I uh, am bound to determine to use my lay on hands ability to heal that goblin that just tried to knife my buddy? But for some reason, I'm going to heal him anyway. If you're going to do the lay on hands first, you'll have the you know the spell check. If you try it and your god allows it, then you're going to have the reduced, you know, hit dice restored, and then you certainly stand to raise the ire of your deity. 
Well, yes. Sinful use of divine power is where I'm going. Okay, I've got a chaotic... Yes. I'm lawful cleric. I've got a chaotic party member, but he's helping me, and we're kind of in this together. So I take the, the reduced lay on hands hit for him being three alignments away, but then I go berserk and decide to heal an orc who's totally, you know, worshipping some evil god that's against my god. Now I've done... I've I've committed a sin. Right. So if you do that, the judge can, uh, you know, put a significant penalty on you, uh, scaling it to, you know, how great the transgression is. So, so you're, instead of your disapproval changing by one, it could go up eight suddenly. Yeah. I think the judge has a lot of, has a lot of liberty to, you know, increase the disapproval a lot or that, you know, that spell check ad actually didn't work. You know, you didn't roll high enough or, you know, you're going to roll on a disapproval table just because your, your deity is not happy because this is the third time you've healed an orc and, you know, the, he's done with it. Okay, and uh, another big cleric ability in most games is uh, turning undead. That's a little different in Dungeon Crawl Classics. Right, in Dungeon Crawl Classics, you uh, turn unholy. Turn unholy can, you know, isn't necessarily, you know, just turning undead or something like that. Um, it depends on your alignment and your god to what creatures are unholy to you. So if you're lawful, it could be you know undead demons, devils, the normal kind of stuff that you think of. Though they also include you know uh, uh, extraplanar creatures, chaos primes, chaotic humanoids, e.g. orcs and chaotic dragons. You know if you're neutral, it could be some of the s- same stuff. It could be you know normal animals, undead demons. Um, yeah, how about Link, that? Lincanthropes. You're, you're a neutral cleric, and you can turn mundane animals. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, that can be right? pretty. That can be pretty cool. Be gone, cow. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're stampede. No, I turn you. <laughs> be gone, <laughs> cow. I care not if you're a centaur with earth corrupting magic. <laughs> So and then uh, you know if you're chaotic then then you could turn you know angels paladins lawful dragons and law aligned humanoids so and one of those actually turns out to be goblins goblins are actually law aligned so much more flexible ability that in some ways makes more sense than anything I've ever read yeah it definitely makes less sense now much to my player chagrin my group I mentioned before is rather chaotic. Uh, the cleric is neutral, but I've had an anti-paladin before, and he was always, can I turn these? And it's like, these are your buddies, you know? <laughs> you can't turn these things. So, uh, But yeah, definitely another flexible system uh, as to what you can turn. Yeah, if you're, so if you're a chaotic uh, cleric and you get jumped by zombies, you're, you're a zombie out of luck, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. I mean... And it makes sense, too, that, you know, if you straddle, you know, light and dark, that that you would, you know, un- what's unholy to you would be totally different. Yeah, definitely. I think it makes a lot of sense. One of the uh, most changed rules I've seen in uh, various editions of Dungeons and uh, Dragons by changed, I mean house rule changed, is what kind of weapons a cleric can use. That's completely different in Dungeon Crawl Classics, too, right? Hello? Crickets. I was letting Jeffrey jump in. I'll keep going. I don't give a crap. All right. So, you know, it, it depends on your alignment, you know, which weapons that you can use. So there's a great table on page 32, um, Gods of the Eternal Struggle, where they kind of list some of this stuff. So, like, if you're lawful, the weapons you're proficient with are club, mace, sling, staff, warhammer. If you're neutral, dagger, mace, sling, staff, sword, 
any type of sword. And chaos is axe, any type of axe, any type of bow, dagger, dart, flail. So I, I think it's pretty cool too. I mean, just participating as I do in the old school Renaissance movement, to me, that's a big deal because that's a, a, a hot topic of debate. Well, you know, if I'm a cleric to Thor, sure, I use a hammer. But what if I'm a cleric to Ares? Why shouldn't I get a sword? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah another it, part that makes sense. So, so kids in Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG, you can. You know, that's another good point, too. If you're coming from another, uh, you know, old school game, if you're a cleric, you get four spells at level one. Yeah, that's that's nice. That is worth pointing out. Well, as much as the character in this game is not a heal bot, you can sit there, and as long as you don't roll ones, you can heal all day long, over and over and over. Yep. Yeah, but the disapproval mechanic I found is people is it's always like, well, do I want to heal you? I don't know. Oh, you're right. It's a it's a very well balanced game mechanic and a self correcting system. But theoretically, I mean, you're not a first level cleric going. I got no heals, or I got one. And the fellow characters in the party seem to understand that too, because a lot of times they'll still be oh six hit points down and like, no, no, it's okay. I might need that more later, <laughs> so that you know. Right, right, right. Say, d- d- don't risk it. Well, before we get off the player section, how about? the whole idea of which gods to worship, because one of the things I noticed in the Dungeon Crawl Classics main rule book where the, uh, there are a good selection of patrons that the wizards can use to gain and bargain, gain their magic from and bargain with, but there's just a list of names on one page for the clerics of deities. I mean, I know somebody's going to write in and go, well, you know, are there, are there any gods for this game? Where do I get that? I got one comment for that. Lame. <laughs> yeah, I feel cheated. That, that's, that's totally lame that all the gods are just in a table. Oh, you mean lame? They 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 fell down on the job right in the book. Oh yeah. yeah I do wish there's a little bit more detail about uh, some of these, and to add expand on this a little bit more, I sometimes wish the modules tied into what's in the book at least, and instead of sort of having their own in a lot of cases. Uh, I think that would make. I don't know, tied a little bit together. I feel like I have a huge proliferation of patrons and gods in the game to the point it's like, okay, how many moon gods can I have? So, you know, so, uh, but yeah, a little more detail on the gods would be sort of cool, I think. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm okay with it just because there's so much out there already. I mean, how many versions of Jim Ward's deities and demigods is there from Legends and Lore, uh, Castles and Crusades? I've got, you know, three or four books on my shelf I could pull gods from any time I wanted to, and that's if I'm, you know, not feeling like making up my own pantheon. Well, I mean, that's a cop-out. Either use those gods and put their names in this freaking table, or, you know, if you want to write your own new names, like Klazath God of War, then you should have a, a paragraph or a few sentences to explain what that means. Well, I think that's a fair point. So, oh my god, did we finally find something in Dungeon Crawl Classics that's not a critical hit? I think we might have. At least for a couple of us. Hey, like, what the hell? Who's Justica, Justina, whatever, the goddess of law? Who is that? What am I supposed to do with her? Right? I mean, and it doesn't have to be huge. Just, you know, a, a short paragraph on, you know, what's cool about her. You know, what makes her a little different or something like that. I mean, I'm cool. I'm all good with, you know making up stuff on the fly or expanding things, but just, you know, get me, get me down a start, start down the path of what is she about? You know, I think we're kind of getting pretty far into what mercurial magic is supposed to be. Oh, okay. Good point. 
Let's <laughs> we do that. We're so bad. Let's per- <laughs> let's proceed forthwith with due haste. Great all-seeing eye of Agamotto, you must come to my aid. Doesn't weird stuff happen when spells are messed up? I don't feel anything. So that could have gone better. Material magic. Okay, Job. Now we're in material magic. Have at it. Woo! All right. Yeah. Screw so, those guys. I want write-ups for these deities. <laughs> right. So I. Yeah. But, uh, uh. Well, I mean, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, first off, a lot of people. Are hey, hey I, got, I, I got it. I got it. Book three, the deity alphabet. There you go. That's it. All right. Pitch it, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I just right off the bat, you know, uh, we said, you know, in this section, the first thing we were going to talk about, you know, what, what data to choose. We already talked about how, you know, there, there's a bunch of different names listed in a table on page 32, and that's about all you're going to get. So Alignment Law, Shul, God of the Moon, Klazath, God of War, Ulesh, God of Peace. That's all you're getting, and you're getting a list, uh, you know, a, a short list of the weapons that you can use and what creatures are unholy to uh, gods of that alignment. Um, I mean, one head scratcher for some people is going to be neutral Cthulhu, priest of the old ones. Why is Cthulhu um, neutral? What do you guys think? Uh, we, our our clerics in uh, my home campaign are. Uh, priests of Cthulhu and we have a lot of fun with that um, uh, Cthulhu's the old ones created the whole system of order and chaos so since they're the creators of order and chaos they themselves would be neutral that would be my theory and that's sort of what uh, I had a cleric that started with worshipping Cthulhu and that's sort of the same gist he went with the, the creator and therefore was neutral and then Cthulhu angered him and after he branded the halfling in the party he switched deities but you know <laughs> but yeah that's the story he went with Cthulhu did he switch deities or alignments uh, he switched deities because alignment shift for a cleric in this game is harsh stuff yes he stayed he's still neutral he just has abandoned Cthulhu he doesn't quite know how that's going to work out for him yet because it hasn't been that long ago but <laughs> really he doesn't know how that's going to work out for him because I know how that's going to work out for him <laughs> Yes, I'm. The ideas are brewing. <laughs> so you know, if you read up in the alignment section of the cleric book, it says neutral clerics tend towards philosophical affiliations. They may be druids who worship the oneness of nature, or dark theosophists who research the dead gods that originally created the universe. That must be the the call out to Cthulhu there. So I guess maybe their rationale behind that is. The elder gods are, you know, created the universe, but you know, in in Aerith or you know whatever world that that DCC RPG is supposed to be set in, um, they're not actually threatening the world. Yeah, uh, that's, what do you guys think? that's sort of the assumption uh, we, we made in our group that you know, not actually threatening the world. They're still asleep or something like that. So, how is it that Cthulhu's in there anyway? I mean, you know, TSR had to rip this out. 30 years ago. Oh, two words, public domain. That's, that's why there are so many companies doing Cthulhu games now. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, copyright law is so funny. I mean, if you published a licensed 
uh, Lovecraftian thing 30 years ago, you still have the copyright to what you published, but the, the source, uh, the HP Lovecraft stuff, is all passing into public domain now. So, Joe, you could write up Cthulhu tomorrow and publish it, as long as you didn't tread on anybody else's IP. I'm not that big into Cthulhu, really, so... I, I've never played Call of Cthulhu, and I tried to get Michael Curtis to explain to me because he's completely and totally into it, and so are a big bunch of our group at our uh, home campaign. And I'm like, I, I've read most of Lovecraft. I, I have a basic understanding of it. I'm no expert. But an RPG based on that, that just sounds like one long, endless character funnel that you know you're going to either go insane or die in. And they all just uh, – Mike's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, you are. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Jim, you're shredding our nerd cred. Stop it, man. <laughs> oh, just my nerd cred. I'm sorry. Okay, so... Back on know, the rails. <laughs> back on the... You guys want to say anything more about the deities? Or is there anything else to say? I don't, uh, think, well, there, I don't think there's too much GMing more. the deities is, is, is one of the funnest things you can do behind the screen. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, when we were going back through and, and, and uh, when I was re- researching some of the rules, um, you know, to get ready for the show... Um, one thing that really struck me is, you know, if you look at the sinful uses of divine power, um, on pages, uh, 29 and, and uh, starting on 20, very bottom of 29 and, and going to 30. Yeah. Where the rules just say it's a GM call, do what you want. Yeah. So there's some great stuff there. So it's like, um, let me flip there real quick. Yeah, when your de- deity is disapproving of you, it air quotes here, may manifest accompanied by thunder and lightning, plagues of locusts, water running uphill, and other signs of divine displeasure. I mean, that's one of the best things about tabletop role-playing games is there there are no 3D artists or CGI expenses. It's all just whatever you say. Sweeping vistas. Yeah. The, the amount of power a judge has in determining, you know, the sinful use of divine powers, it's awesome. The, the descriptions, like you said, you, you know, you can make the earth shake or, you know, the, the, the terrible storms break out or, you know, any number of things to signal that. And it could just be a signal or it could have a major impact right at the moment. Uh, Wait, I think the judge definitely has a lot of liberty when it comes to the disapproval and how happy are, is your deity with you. It's definitely a lot of liberty for the judge. I mean, a good judge would obviously use the, uh, those tools judiciously and, uh, and, you know, not in an abusive manner. But if you've got a, you know, I want to say paladin because that's what I've seen the most. You know, if you've got a paladin torturing a prisoner for uh, information and he's supposed to be lawful, there's your, there's your, there's your big bat to get the player back in line right there. Yep, sits right there for you. Yeah. yeah well, when I was reading through it too, it was I was thinking I was like, I was like, man, this would be so cool. It's like. And the next game I I run is I'm I'm not going to tell the players how much disapproval they've incurred with their deity. Just like add it silently to any other roles. You're your what? Right, and then and then, but then just kind of like roll, you know, describe it. Like there's peals of thunder, and and you know, uh, I don't know if your god is like the god of war or something. Like uh, weapons, you know, are shaking in their sheaths or something to show your deity's disapproval, and you feel the disapproval, but you don't know exactly how much disapproval you're getting. Okay, let me make sure I've got this straight. I just want to make sure I'm hearing what I'm hearing. So your your poor player uh, cleric is rolling ones, and he doesn't know anything about his disapproval range. He's just starting to hear thunder and lightning and the ground shake a little bit, and he knows something's up. 
Well, no, no. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I meant specifically the sinful use of um, of divine power. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm on your side. I think it's genius. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool idea because they don't know exactly how bad am I off. You know, you just know they're not happy. You throw that little rumble of thunder. They don't know you just kicked their disapproval up by three. Right, and, and this is where I wish that we had more information about the gods. You know, I don't know their favorite animal or you know how they manifest themselves or something. You know, it's kind of you just have to wing it all yourself. Well, uh, yeah, you're you're. You're right, but I mean that sounds like a golden opportunity for somebody to jump in and fill the gap. Either, either you know, on a small scale, my campaign, okay, I get to research this myself because I love researching things. Or on a larger scale, here's a beautiful third party product, and and there, there is at least that one. I can never get the name straight. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. It's angels, it's, demons, and. Something yeah, I between. always forget the beings in between or something. Is that what it is? Yeah, there's oh a little gosh. conceptual overlap there between patrons and, and for the wizards and deities for the clerics, but there's both in that book. You know, I've got to check that one out. I, I haven't gotten it yet, so... it's I, We're actually, checking out. I've been using it recently, and it's it's a decent little book. It's got some cool stuff. Uh, Angels, so, uh, Demons, is, and Beings Between is the name of it, and that one's from Dragon's Horde Publishing, is who put that one out. So, so some of everything and things that could be transposed as the other, but sounds to me like there's an opportunity for somebody to lay down a pantheon. How are the deity write-ups in there, Jeffrey? Did you like them? Or? Um, you know, I've only been focused on mainly the patrons, uh... The write-ups are decent. I mean, I've been using some of them. There, it's it's a it's a good book. I know what I, I mean, would do if in my personal campaign is if uh, for, just for Dungeon Crawl Classics, any other RPG, I would just go get deities and demigods and decide which pantheon I want in there. I like Norse and Greek. Okay, boom, boom, done. I would not ever do that in Dungeon Crawl Classics. Dungeon Crawl Classics pantheon needs to be strange and exotic. Sure, I just wish we got a little more of what, you know what's exotic about it. I mean, it's still the ones that are in here. They're not three or four paragraphs on them, and then they get into the invoke patron and then their spells and things like that. But it's enough to get me going to you know. Okay, now I know a little bit about this, and I'm good to start you know uh, playing with it. So you know, there's plenty of room to paint in between the lines, but I've got some lines to paint in between. Versus just a one line out of the table. Well, what you mean, Job? I mean, there's not a huge amount of patrons in the core rulebook, and the write-ups for some of them are very brief. But at least that gives you what Jeffrey's talking about for the patrons. You would just like to see the same thing for some of those deities. Right, exactly. It gives you a starting point to do your own. And, and there's really not too much to go on here except a, a single table. Uh, you know, the other thing we forgot to mention is, uh, you know, Cleric's ability is Divine Aid. Oh, holy cow. The, the, right. In the old day, we would constantly do that because the Dungeon Master's Guide said, you know, you have a 25% chance of calling down your god. So we would constantly do that stuff, and we missed it in this whole episode. I mean, it's a done deal with clerics. It's almost like you've got to be careful, you know, when you choose to use it because you've got a pretty good shot at making it happen. Yeah, so th there's a great uh, mechanic around Divine Aid, too. It's, uh, you know, everything in DCCRPG... The math isn't balanced, but I, I feel like the mechanics are balanced in that there's a there's a trade off for everything you you know every crazy thing you want to do there there's a you're going to pay for it 
So with Divine Aid, if you call down Divine Aid, no matter what, you know, at a minimum, you're getting, you're adding 10 to your disapproval with your deity right off the bat. And then you can, uh, and then... Uh, well, that's what I mean by you better, when you do it, you better mean it, because you're going to suck wind after you do it. Yep. Yeah, you oh, yeah. Choose it carefully. And, and you can do anything from, you know, the example in the book is like light a candle. Like, I don't know who the hell would do that. But, uh, and, and, you know, it's like a DC 10 or something like that. And like, and then, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I would just, I would just light a candle. I wouldn't ask the deity for it. And then, you know, it goes up to like a, a DC 18, you know, to, to like summon and, and control a column of living flame. Well, that's the kind of stuff I would want to do if I was a cleric and, and using this. Old Testament stuff. Cats and dogs. Mass <laughs> <laughs> hysteria. <laughs> Wrath of God. But yeah, yeah. If you're if you're if you're a decent level cleric, I don't I guess you have to be decent level. I mean, and it's you're staring down the barrel of a TPK. That's that's your version of invoke patron. Call down divine aid. Right. Exactly. So so in mercurial magic, um, the reason I wanted to mention, I just made a note to myself when I was reading it through, is um, divine aid. Just the mechanic, people don't do it that often. So you know, the next time I, I I'm playing again, I'm I'm gonna. The next time I'm at the table, I'm, I'm going to force the players to actually beseech their god if they're going to if they're going to use divine aid. I've played a lot of this game and I've never seen anybody do it. <laughs> right, so it's like, okay, you okay, make your case to your deity right now. You make a really good case, maybe I won't give you plus ten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey guys, in Jeffrey's campaign, the sea queen is kicking our ass. Time to call down divine aid. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I'm, they know me. I'm too mean. They're afraid of it. <laughs> uh, did that guy? You don't sound that mean to me. At least your version of what's going on in the campaign. But did that guy's sword ever completely evaporate? No, it did not. They uh, managed to. They managed to slow his deterioration uh, through another side quest that led to some deaths and another little nagging problem. They're not quite sure how nagging it's going to be, but they managed to. It's not as strong as it once was, but they did manage to uh, delay its deterioration. Sorry, Joe, I digressed. Back, back to railing against there being no gods in this book. <laughs> I, I, I'm done ranting for now in this segment. <laughs> no, well, it's good. Well, the last segment, we're going to rate the clerics in the game. So let's just go there and continue the rant. How about that? Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Who are you? Your new lord and master. What orders from Mordor, my lord? Oh, don't trouble. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Patron Bond. Okay, Patron Bond, which has been the most predictable section of the show because we uh, rate whatever we've been discussing as a critical hit, hit, miss or a fumble and we have been universal in our claim of everything we've talked about it's been a critical hit just about down the line job what do you think of the cleric class critical hit um i'm gonna go with hit it doesn't qualify as a miss the cleric in dc's rpg is the first cleric I've, I've ever actually wanted to play um not that i get to play very often but and, and probably the biggest reason is, is the deities. Um, the deities don't have any personality. I mean, the patrons for wizards, you know, it's obvious that, that, that uh, you know, 
Goodman Games really likes wizards, deities could have been so much more than they are. You know, at least writing well, up like three of them. We're going to have one of the patr- wizard patrons on the show next episode. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, if you actually, in the chaos line, there's um, Bo Booba Gliz and... And uh, one other guy that's you know listed for chaos, but you don't really have access. The cleric doesn't have access to its spells. I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a little flavor there. I, I might be able to, as a GM, feed into to to you know describe their disapproval or how they you know manifest themselves or talk to their their um, their follower. I don't know. I the the other thing too is um, you know luck for clerics just helps with turning unholy and. How often do you turn unholy, really? You know, some of the other classes have better uses for their luck, so it's, it's kind of lame, I think. Yeah, back in the mechanics part, we didn't mention that the cleric spell check is the their action die plus personality and uh, cleric level, as opposed to wizard being intelligence. Oh yeah, yeah, that is a good point. But um, yeah, so I I don't know the the luck thing for for clerics is kind of lame, and uh, you know. I, I'm lazy. I want a, a, some more information about the deities. So, curse you, good men! <laughs> the Dark Master fails. Ooh. Uh, how about you, Jeffrey? Critical hit, hit, miss, or fumble? I give it a critical hit. I do agree with Job on the the, the deities could use uh, just a paragraph or two or three to just give the judge a little bit of guidance. Uh, but I think the other mechanics still are strong enough to help out outweigh some of that. The the four spells, the lay on hands to let you heal without burning up spell slots to do it is great. Uh, the disapproval gives the judge a lot of room to work with the cleric. It, so I, I give it a critical hit. I think the cleric's fun to play. I think it's a, uh, some good mechanics in there. Though Job's complaints, I think, on the the deities getting one lines is, is a valid complaint on the, the deity portion of the clerics i uh if we were comparing the dungeon crawl classics character character class well that was difficult to say to uh say D pathfinder or other games i have experience with i would go along with the critical hit but i'm gonna go with just a hit uh and agree with job on this one uh because of just that one little thing i mean it's 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 it's, it's like all the character classes in this game uh they did a stellar job of fixing everything that i didn't like about you know, halflings and uh, dwarves, but uh, they could have gone an extra mile with the cleric. Just a couple of three deities, one of each alignment, something with a better write-up. Well, maybe, maybe when uh, I don't know, there's been rumblings of a box set or something. Maybe they'll do it then. I hope. Sorry, Jeffrey. As soon as Job started getting all nuclear curmudgeon, uh, he he swayed me. No, you know, I think it's a valid play. I just think the other mechanics are strong enough to make the cleric fun to play, and it, I see it as being one weakness to the cleric and not to the point to overwhelm, uh, overwhelm me on it. But I certainly I, I agree with both of you. The, uh, and I do wonder if some of it's because I'm comparing it to, you know, cleric of a Pathfinder or D&D, where it's just like, this is, you know, it's, this made the clerics are cool, they've solved the, I've only got one heal spell a day, or even the spontaneous casting from Pathfinder, you're still sort of burning spell slots that, you know, might have been useful for something else but uh, so I, I still give it a critical hit because I think the mechanics are sound but the the deity thing is, is certainly a black mark well I mean you're a cleric that's you, you have a deity that's your thing they, there's no excuse for not having more information about him 
and and I don't know. Probably the reason I'm upset about it really is that um, I've I've always just glossed right over the deity section. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I don't, I, this bores me. You know, I don't go to church in real life, and I don't want to go to church. You know, if I'm playing a game. Oh my uh, goodness. <laughs> But you know, with this one, I'm like, man, this this is kind of fun, you know. Like, I want I want deities that can cause problems for the the players, you know. Just from the GM perspective, like, you know, this could really, you know, this will mess with someone's day. Send your emails to the band at spellburn.com. Yeah, there goes the mail volume. <laughs> no, it's 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 this weird. It's a weird discussion because I can see both sides of it. I remember when we, when you know, I was a teenager and we started playing D anD D. We ran clerics, not me personally, but in the party with no deity. We just were playing the game and we, nobody cared where the spells came from. I mean, the deities came in the game after, as our play grew more sophisticated and our DM figured out what he was doing more. Then they came into the game. Um, Joseph may be more uh, like uh, my. I don't know how to say it. Wizard groupie. Well, that (laughs) I I am definitely a wizard groupie. But uh, if 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 I'm running a game, I like making my own stuff up. You know, I'm not one to go. I you know, I need a map of this world. I want to make the map. You know, I want to make the pantheon. I'll grab this from here and grab this from there. And uh, Joseph may be of that same inkling and 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 figured. You know, if this is going to be old school flavored game, then. So should everybody else. But I, I perfectly understand the opposite point of view. I mean, the, uh, among people who purchase this game and play it, there are obviously going to be a huge segment of that audience that would like exactly what you're asking for. Yeah, I think so. I, like I said, I, I've never wanted it before, and and then it's not there. So <laughs> he didn't know you wanted it till it wasn't there. <laughs> okay, well, this is a good show. Um, what class should we do next when we get back on this? What do you think? We've done warriors, we've done wizards, we've done clerics. Now we do... Are, thieves? Are we going to have this on air? This part? <laughs> yeah. I, I was just casually conversating on air, but we could talk about it off air or invite listeners to tell us what they want, which class they want next or whatever you want. Oh, I, uh, okay. I, you, you're you're going to edit this? Cut it all out. I don't care. Uh, no, no, no. That's okay. You know, I'm losing my mind. I have very um, strict definitions of things in my brain, and you're stepping all over them, Jim. <laughs> Just like a good wizard should. Sorry, sir. No, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of thinking we'd combine Thief and Halfling. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think we could probably pull that off uh, for Thief and Halfling, it, it, sort of combine them into one show. Because they, they're kind of like Warrior Dwarf, you know? Yes, the, I've, if we were able to combine warrior and dwarf, I think we can combine thief and halfling to a degree. Oh, see, that wasn't hard. Nobody had to even chip a die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, uh, I know we said this last time, but we'll say it again this time. Join us for our next episode, which will focus on the spell duel mechanic. And uh, until then... Never split the party unless the party's already split. Have a good one, everyone. Goodbye, everybody. Love your clerics. This is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. The Spellburn theme music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard. You can find them at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. No 
Hawk's dicks were turned into snakes during the production of this episode. And be sure to be on the lookout for The Deity Alphabet by Jeffrey Tadlock, coming in 2014 to a game store near you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Spellburn. Spellburn.